Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. How was your week last week? We're here in the second part of our series of uh, hearing God's voice. And last week, we looked at Samuel. My question for you today is, how, you know, how have you been trying to pay attention to God speaking to you this week? Have you been doing the homework? Have you been taking that time? Have you been listening? Have you been clearing out the clutter? Anyway, there are many voices out there. The, um, the devil, the world, our imaginations, other people. Also God, just to name a few, that are always clamoring to get our attention. There are also so many voices in our culture that, that cry out. And we see it and we're bombarded all the time. You deserve a break, right? Or you deserve more clothes or a beautiful home, a new car. You, you deserve to have things to make you happy. Or, you know, experiences for your children are necessary for them to, to think that you're good parents. So, you know, take them on a Disney trip. Remember those things? Trips? Uh, or buy them more toys for Christmas or, you know, take them to a lot of fast food restaurants for meals, things like that. Or if you really want your, your child to go ahead in life, you need to give them the right education, right? And there's only one way, the best way, that's private school. No, 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 that's homeschool. No, 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 that's classical education, right? And <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but we all cram and we push and we expect and we drive and we press and that's our culture. And those are the voices that are coming in or us, uh, on us. Another voice is like, you know, finding the right partner will make us happy. So the voices go on and on and on. Which are the voices we are listening to? And I find it interesting that in scripture, Satan is called the father of lies. And his desire really is to distract us, to pull us away from God, to causing us to disbelieve in God's goodness and to deny him and maybe even to be so busy that we don't even have the time to hear the truth. The truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. My friend Leonard Sweet posted not too long ago, he said, our job as preachers is not to tell people what they want to hear, but to tell the truth. So let's talk now for um, a moment uh, of one of the loudest voices people are listening to during this time of COVID. I call it the voice of conspiracy. Can I go here today? You know, Jerry, what does that have to do with the church and having to hear the voice of God? Let me get there. Just hang on, hang tight. Because as, as many of us are aware, there are these things that are going around called conspiracy theories. Many of us have heard different theories regarding 9-11 or Princess Diana's death or the Kennedy assassination or Area 51 and the aliens or the Holocaust revisionism or the fake moon landings or the reptilian elite Right? And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Now the, the problem with conspiracy theories rests in the difficulty of proving them untrue. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote that people don't have to believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. Did you hear that? People don't have to believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. And conspiracy theorists are not interested in evidence that does not prove their belief untrue. Rather, they are principally concerned only with evidence that supports or continues their theory. And so researchers found, and it's been quite interesting, that 
at least half of the American public, I can't speak for Canadian because I didn't find that stat, but at least half of the American public consistently endorses at least one type of conspiracy theory. Half. So what about conspiracy theories in the church? See, some Christians love them. And it's because there's something about, especially in the evangelical world and the evangelical church, that, that we get obsessed with the end times. And we've constructed these elaborate systems that seek to predict and to find evidence and supports their particular belief that Christ will return and how he will return and usher in the end time in the not-so-distant future. And we evangelicals, we jump on that. You know, we the church are infiltrated by many different voices. And really, we have to begin to look, discern what is false and what is true. What is of God and what is not. And I hope you're tracking with me today. You know, I believe that one of my roles as a pastor is to help the average Christian in our community to understand their place in the larger world particularly in a time where there's so much uncertainty like right now. So in my experience, when discussing what, what people are listening to or believing in, sometimes actually finding common ground can be very difficult, if not even next to impossible. You look at social media. Like, you can never win an argument on social media, so why bother argue? Why, why bother even turning it on? And so, in the same way, so chastising or shaming somebody for their beliefs rarely changes somebody's mind, but actually has the opposite effect, and it further entrenches their belief in whatever you're talking about. And the fact is, the fact is the church at large is prone to listening to these voices that actually fall outside of what God has intended. Let's be honest. We've all been watching what's happening in the U.S. as if it's almost a Netflix series, right? And every day there's a new episode and you have no idea what's happening next. In the midst of this excitement, there are many conspiracy theories that, that have been going on, even for quite some time now. But there's one that stands out that I need to address. It's called QAnon. Now, a while back, former President Trump, in an interview, told a reporter that he didn't know much about QAnon. But this is what he did say to the reporter. He said, I understand they like me very much, which I appreciate. And then he added, I've heard that it's gaining popularity, and from what I hear, these people, uh, these are people that love our country. So the reporter now goes into a follow-up question and says, you know, at the crux of this theory is the belief that you are secretly saving the world from a cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you're behind? Trump's answer was, well, I haven't heard that, but is it supposed to be a bad thing? Now hear me out. Today is not a political life lesson. I'm just sharing with you how we are influenced by the voices around us. Now, the majority of people are actually unfamiliar with QAnon. And so for the sake of the context right now, let me explain something. QAnon is a conspiracy theory that, that claims that a secret cell in, in government, deep state, uh, the media and other influential institutions are engaged in child sex trafficking, uh, a, sort of a cannibalism of a sort is what they would say. Um, and uh, 
and the usual conspiracy thought of world domination and human sacrifice. I'm just saying as I hear it. One sub-theory in the movement alleges that there's footage of Hillary Clinton and her aide ripping off a child's face, wearing it as a mask before drinking the child's blood in a satanic ritual sacrifice. This movement began when an anonymous individual identified as Q took to the 4chan online forum and began to post many different claims. Now, for the uninitiated, 4chan is a wholly anonymous English language image board website. On this site, you are completely anonymous. There's no way to identify you, no way anything. You're completely anonymous. And because of that anonymity, anything goes in its forums. Anything. It's also known for its implication in child pornography and other foul dregs of the internet. So that's where the birth of this stuff has come out of. One post predicted that Hillary Clinton would be arrested and mass riots would break out nationwide on October 30th, 2017. Well, that day came and went. And nothing that Q forecast came to pass. But here's the genius of QAnon. See, for those already convinced of it, it's unfalsifiable. There's a guy by the name of Travis View who researches conspiracy theories and he explains, and I will quote him, he says this, Q will say something very vague like, watch the water, and because water covers most of the planet, there's going to be a news event that eventually that involves Trump and water. And so the QAnon community will look at that and say, well, look, Trump uh, drank a glass of water on camera, and Q said, watch the water. That means Q predicted the event, which, of course, is nonsense. So when Q prophesies, or drops, as they're called, when, when these prophecies or these drops don't pan out, uh, as like with the initial Clinton arrest story, and now with Trump's loss of the election, adherents simply conclude that the secret cell or deep state has interfered. Well, that makes sense, sure. But among QAnon's most troubling aspects are its use of the language and the style of evangelical Christianity. It's a misuse of the Bible to disguise its deception and its increasingly function as a synchronistic cult of semi-Christian heresy. QAnon fashions itself as a Christian movement. And all you got to do is see what's going on in the States. And so when Q makes his drops or prophecies, he often quotes scripture. Can I say this? So does the devil in Matthew 4.10. And so by dropping scripture with a twist, it, it has actually helped convince people, many who are believers, um, that these theories are actually true. Now what makes this and other conspiracy theories I would call devilish, is that it deliberately preys on well-intended concerns about real, very real social issues. But it, unfortunately, it mixes truth with malignant lies. And in my world as a pastor, many pastors that I am connected with have mentioned how QAnon and other theories are on the rise within their churches. 
One person said this, and I quote, it's taking on the power of a new religion that's dividing churches and hurting Christian witness amongst younger generations. Read that. As pastors, <laughs> we are at a great discipleship disadvantage. I want you to think about this with me. Because every pastor, any pastor, can preach a fantastic, wonderful 35, 45, 55-minute message that is exegetically sound, theologically rich, has important uh, applic uh, applicability to an individual's life. But if that person then turns around and consumes hours of QAnon or any other theory on YouTube every week, I can easily tell you what their discipleship outcome will be. One pastor said this, one reason Q appeals to Christians is that they can feel like uh, it's a way to live out Jesus' instruction to be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. The problem, he says, for followers of QAnon who are Christians is that they are actually, they aren't being shrewd enough. QAnon is predatory drivel that undermines the authority of Scripture, pilfers trust we owe only to Christ, and Christians have a responsibility to learn to identify it and flee. So what are the voices are we listening to? What are the voices you are listening to? As followers of Jesus, are we hearing his voice? Again, it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, as a pastor, I recognize the the belief of the, this grand narrative between the good and evil cosmic forces battling against one another and how it all sort of correlates and perhaps even fuels conspiracy theory thinking. But I believe that my calling is not just to recognize the battle between good and evil, but also the need uh, for the church to emphasize the more hands-on approach of living out the Christian faith like Jesus called us to do, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I, I, I am incredibly pleased and blessed with the response of our community this past Christmas to Eswatini and to, to Living Word. Unbelievable. I know, I know we understand that. I know that, that that's uh, a reflection of what God's doing and, and you being responsive to the, the voice of God on your heart to give. And I think it's sometimes exciting to think about what lurks in the shadows and, and beyond our sight, but remembering the physicality of our flesh is important as well. Not too long ago, I talked about Gnosticism with its emphasis on the spirit over flesh, the idea of secret knowledge. And, you know, obviously we found that to be heresy. And I believe that I, I have to help people understand their place in the larger world, help them find themselves and their place within the local Christian community and the local community, as difficult as it may be, especially within the times of physical distancing and all that that goes with it. I have a number of books on prayer, and one of them is a Celtic book of prayer. And The other day I came across this poem regarding the disciple John, and it goes like this. John, the beloved who followed Jesus as the way, embraced the truth and shared his life. At the supper of the Lord, lean closer to him to hear his words. For those who lean on Jesus' breast, hear the heart of God. 
I have to admit that these words sort of stuck in my mind. I want, to, I want the voice I hear to be the voice of Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. I want to hear, and I love this poem, the heartbeat of God. But there are so many voices that are clamoring for my attention. If you go back into the book of John and you begin to see what he wrote and all the quotes of Jesus that he, he did uh, that even you and I now hold very dearly, I want you to, just to listen to a few of them. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I am the light of the world. I have come as a light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you. So let not your heart be troubled or let it be fearful. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And my kingdom is not of this world. And blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. See, I don't know about you, but that's the voice I want to be hearing. That's the voice I want to be in, having influence on me in my decisions. Millions of Christians want to know how do I hear the voice of God versus all the competing voices speaking to us. And I think fortunately for us, the Bible has clear guidelines to help us in discerning God's voice. Before we go there, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. There's a place in Scripture where God is said to speak in a still small voice. And it was to Elijah after this dramatic victory over the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. After that big victory took place, Elijah was told that Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, who was the king of Israel, was, was seeking to kill him. There was a price on his head. So he has this cosmic battle of, of good and evil. He ends up on the winning team, right? And now what does he do is he runs into the wilderness and he flees. He collapses in exhaustion. Scriptures tell us that God then sent an angel with food and water to strengthen him. And Scripture continues, and it says this, that so he got up and he ate and he drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and what Elijah does is he takes all this time now and he voices his complaint and all that God's prophets, you know, they, they've all been killed by Jezebel, that he alone survived, and he's just, he's just ranting and railing on God. And Scripture says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? I think the point of God speaking in the still small voice was to show Elijah the work of God doesn't always need to be accompanied by some sort of dramatic revelation or manifestations. Divine silence does not necessarily mean divine inactivity. Zechariah 4.6 tells us that, that God's work is not uh, by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Meaning that overt displays of power are not necessarily for God to work. And because he's God, he's not confined to a single manner of communicating with his people. Because elsewhere in Scripture, he, he, it is written that where he communicated through a whirlwind in, in Job chapter 38. He announced his presence by an earthquake in Exodus 19. He, he's sp- spoken a voice that sounded like thunder. And we read that in Job, in Psalms, and in John 12. In Psalm 77, his voice is compared to both thunder and a whirlwind. And in Revelation, we're told that lightning and thunder proceeds from the throne of heaven. And so nor is God limited to natural phenomena when he speaks. Because all through Scripture, he speaks through his prophets over and over again. The common thread, (coughs) excuse me, the common thread in all the prophets is this phrase, thus saith the Lord, right? Good old King James Version. Thus says the Lord. And he speaks through the writers of Scripture. Most graciously, however, he speaks through his son Jesus. Look what the writer of the Hebrews opens his letter with. Look at this truth. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophet at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. And so the difference between God speaking through the thunder, the whirlwind, and then the still small voice can also be considered as showing the difference between two periods of, uh, of law and, between the periods of law and grace. You know, in the Old Testament law, there were very strong words. Um, you know, things were given amidst the storm of wind, of thunder, of lightning, or earthquake. We, we, you read Hebrews 12, 18 to, to, to 24. But, in the, you know, God sort of revealed himself in, in that way. But the gospel, through Jesus, is a gentle voice of love, of grace, of mercy, of peace, of pardon, of righteousness, this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, the law would break the rocky hearts of men into pieces. It would shake their confidence because we can never do the law. We can never do it all. And it, it also fills our minds with a, a sense of a, God's fiery wrath and punishment maybe that we deserve, right? Read Romans. But the gospel gently speaks to us. And it speaks of peace. It speaks of forgiveness or of pardon. It speaks of hope and healing that's available in Jesus. And so I would have to say this, that it is less important how God speaks to us than what we do with what he says. Did you hear that? It is less important how God speaks to us than in what we do with what he says. See, God speaks most clearly to us 
today through his word. The more we learn it, the more ready we are absolutely uh, able to recognize his voice when he speaks to our hearts, and the more likely we will obey what we hear. And as I said earlier, the Bible has clear guidelines to help us discern God's voice. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Another version puts it this way, without counsel purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. In other words, it's, it's, it's risky just to hear one voice and to plunge ahead on one voice alone. And so my my, my desire to, is to ask you to read the Scripture, to ask questions, to, to look for answers, to surround yourself with godly folk that you can bounce these ideas off. Again, this is where our life groups come in. People who know God, people that you know have a deeper relationship with God, who know the Scriptures, who would gladly sit down, who would gladly hear all your questions out, go over the Scriptures with you. Now, it may take some time, but you will get an answer to your questions, and that I can guarantee. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Look what Jesus says to Peter in Matthew 16. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You know, we just can't intellectualize or emotionalize the gospel or the scriptures. We have to receive it we have, and understand our, this aspect of spirituality. The mind, the emotions of man are not to be ignored, but they are insufficient by themselves to adequately grasp the things of God. They are spiritually discerned, as we see, the, deep down in the realm of our spirit. And this is where the Spirit of God speaks to us. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a connection there when we start getting into the Scriptures. And as believers, we, you know, as we walk in the Spirit, as we live by the Spirit, we seek the spiritual over the natural, over the carnal, and you will greatly improve your sensitivity and discerning the voice of God in your life. Romans 12, 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what? What God's will is. His good is pleasing and perfect will. Are you able to control the voices that you are listening to or, or trying to distract you? Is your mind renewed? And, and again, this, this is a command. This is not a suggestion. And so once we can... Uh, then you will know God's will. Once we start renewing our mind, tuning out those unnecessary voices, focusing on Scripture, we begin to know what God's will is. And in effect, we will be hearing God's voice. So your paradigm is important. That, that, that mental grid through which you filter all the input is so important. You know, we read in Psalms 37, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But let me ask you this question. Are the desires of your heart from God? You know, and I think to answer this question properly, you actually have to ask yourself, am I delighting myself in the Lord? 
Because the Bible does say that if I delight myself in him, he'll give me the desires of my heart. One of my heart's desires is to hear the voice of God clearly. Philippians 2.13 says it's for, uh, for it is for God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's fascinating. And, you know, if I'm submitted to God, he'll actually work in me and not do, just do his will, but actually to desire his will to work through me. That's amazing. And so our relationship with God will determine if our will is lined up with his will. And if so, we, you know, we will thereby be better able to know God's will and to understand God's voice when he speaks to us. Isaiah 8, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. How many people, how many Christians check their horoscopes more often than they read their Bible? Or seek out a medium or tarot card reading? You know, does the voice that you're listening to agree with God's Word? Does it agree with Scripture? Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I remember losing some young people to a heretical cult. They felt that they were able to go beyond their need for the Bible and just hear directly from God. And sad sad to say that this erroneous belief led them to really make a shipwreck of their walk with God. Decades ago, There was a movement across our nation strongly given to personal prophecy. And it denigrated to the point where contrary to Scripture, they were known to prophesy. You know, you should divorce her, you should marry her, things like that. Things very contrary to the word of Scripture. And I think that there are some sad examples of the disaster that awaits those who fail to apply the Scriptures to what they think is the voice of God and and, and speaking to them. You know, the absolute requirement in learning how to hear from God is to be convinced that God's leading will always line up with the principles of the Bible. Again, in Romans, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God's Spirit speaks to our spirit, and that is that still small voice with in, if it's truly the wisdom that's from above, it will be pure, it will be peaceful, it will be gentle. God's voice is gracious, it's merciful. Like I said, it's peaceful. And if the voice that you're hearing is unlike that, then you have every reason to be wary of that voice. Remember back in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote that if two or three prophets should speak, the others should weigh carefully what is said. You need to think about that. The truth always submits itself for judgment. My suggestion is that we accept no no prophecies, no revelations, or voices that close the door for spiritual discernment and judgment by other mature believers. 
You know, often when we're worried or when we're anxious or when we're overwhelmed, we cry out to God to, you know, God, speak to us. I know, because I've been there. And we look for his voice and, and guidance because we need something. But the good news is that God is always wanting to hear from us and to speak to us. And God is certainly speaking to his people, but too often we miss out on hearing God's messages because we seek his guidance only occasionally. And it's usually when we're going through some sort of crisis or facing some sort of major decision. Then we, uh, we, we have this dire need to hear from God and we become confused and we become frustrated when we don't hearly or clearly hear what, what we should do. And we begin to wonder how to hear from God and why we're not hearing from God. And I think the key is, is that we got to forget the formulas and the gimmicks for hearing from God and to focus instead on developing the kind of relationship with God that will empower you to hear him speak regularly in your life. And the closer we get to God, the more you can enjoy ongoing conversations with him, both listening and hearing from him, the more God will use those conversations to transform you into the person that he wants you to become to make your part in the world that he has placed you. Oh. So, let me leave you with some practical ways to recognize God's voice. Number one, you and I need to recognize that God has created us for a close friendship with himself. By design, the way we hear the best from God is in the context of a friendship with him. And God intends for you to figure this, uh, basically to figure out his freely, this freely and intelligently as you engage in regular conversations with him. And God will be personally present with you and speaking with you moment by moment as you go through life. And you'll grow to understand him more and become more like Jesus. Have that friendship. Number two, consider your motives for wanting to hear from God. Honestly reflect on why do I want to hear from God? Is it because you're truly open to what God has to say and, and, and you're committed to putting his guidance into action and fulfilling his purposes? even when doing so is actually challenging? Or is it a selfish reason? You know, such as wanting to feel righteous or comforted. Ask God to give you an openness to hear and respond faithfully to what he wants you to do. Number three, don't try to force God to tell you something. Right? Focus on developing a respectful relationship with God and, and wait on his timing to deliver messages to you. Also, if God chooses not to give you specific guidance on something you've prayed about, and, and maybe what you're considering is within Bible moral principles, you can confidently go ahead and make your own decision about what to do within God's will because the Scriptures have already encouraged that aspect. But don't try to force God into something. Number four, recognize that God communicates in many forms, but most often through your mind. God may choose any one of many different ways in particular to communicate with you. You know, according to what's best at his particular time and his particular circumstances. You may sometimes hear God's message to you in dramatic ways. Maybe an angel, maybe a vision or a dream. Maybe for you there might be a miraculous events. But more often than not, 
you'll hear God speaking through your thoughts and he will use ordinary practices such as reading the scriptures, praying quietly, learning from circumstances, or even seeking counsel from other Christians to reach out to you as you think about them. You hear that? God can use dramatic means to get your attention when necessary. But his goal for you is to be so closely connected to him that you'll pay attention whenever he speaks and whoever he speaks through. And usually God speaks through what people have described as that still small voice to encourage those he loves to choose to keep walking closely with him through life. Number five, said it earlier, I'll say it again. We need to renew your mind. God speaks through our mind, right? He wants us to, to develop uh, what the Bible calls the mind of Christ, the ability to make decisions like Jesus would. And it's crucial for you and I to follow the Bible's urging in Romans 12, 2. So invite the Holy Spirit to renew your mind every day. Every day. He, ask Him to cleanse you from the dirt and the clutter, the false beliefs, the attitudes, the unhealthy feelings, the misguided plans and thoughts. Then the Holy Spirit will replace all of the, that with true thoughts and reflect God's purposes. Renew our minds. Number six would be invite the Holy Spirit to help you when you read the Scriptures. The Word of God is a living and creative force. It's Jesus himself, and he is actively at work when we read the Scriptures. Sometimes we don't feel it, but he is. And when you read your Bible and you ask the Holy Spirit to make the Bible's words come alive for you, you and, and become conduits through which he sends you his thoughts and faith and love into your soul, he begins to work that way. Then focus on what he sends you and orientate yourself towards it so that it will begin to transform your life. Read the scriptures. Number seven, set a regular time. Make it a habit of intentionality and expectantly to listen for whatever God may want to tell you. It's more important to become a person who listens regularly to God than it is to constantly ask God to give you some guidance. Set aside some time today. Just begin to listen to God's voice, hearing his promises, his plans for you. For some, keep a journal. Remember the things that he brings into your life. My wife is, is great at that. But set that time aside. Worship, scripture, silence, fasting, prayer. Set it aside. Number eight, recognize God's voice above all others. I think that by experience, that you can learn to recognize God's voice when he speaks and to confidently respond to what he says. When thoughts reoccur, pray about them. Discern if they're coming from God. And keep in mind that God will never send you a message that contradicts the Bible's principles. Also, God's voice carries the weight of authority within it and expresses a, a spirit of peace and confidence and joy and reasonableness and goodwill. And if you think that God may be speaking to you, ask Him to confirm as you study, as you meditate on Scripture. You know, maybe bring in people, like I said earlier, that you trust, that you can bounce. I think this is what's going on. What do you think in, in terms of looking at it from a God base? And as you 
study and as you meditate on the scriptures, ask God to confirm. Ask him to alert you to uh, your circumstances. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you impressions and have everything validated by the scriptures. Because in leaning closer to hear his voice, personally, I've heard the voice which is always full of love, peace, comfort, and courage. So, whose voice are you listening to? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your word says, I will seek you and find you when I seek you with all my heart. I long to hear your voice, God, but I know that in order to hear you, I need to spend more time with you. So help me to desire your presence more and more, more than anything else. More than answers, more than directions, more than blessings. Your, your presence is a gift, and I, I, I will show that gratitude for that gift by making time to seek you in prayer each and every day. So whether it's for five minutes or an hour, I know that you will meet me there. Father, forgive us for letting our lives get so busy, even during a time of COVID, that we have forgotten to prioritize our time together with you. Thank you for the second chance, and help me to have ears to hear what your Spirit is speaking today. Lord, give me listening ears to hear your voice and to discern your uh, voice from the many voices that are speaking in our culture. And Lord, open my heart to your impressions, and please help me close my ears to the whisperings of the evil one. I thank you for reminding me of the danger of trying to face life's challenges in my own strength. Because time in your presence brings peace, it brings comfort, it brings a renewed hope. In Jesus' name, I pray this for all who are watching. Amen. Soul Sanctuary, go now. Awaken to the voice of God who speaks in his word and in his world. Soul Sanctuary, be listening to his voice amid the noise of your everyday life and be persistent for the one whom you follow because he lives. His teachings and his promises are alive and at work in you. Soul Sanctuary, do not get discouraged. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. For moments of receiving, finding, and opening will come. And so Soul Go this week serving in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Live the church. We'll see you next week.